great to be back here. Last Sunday I was at another church sharing the Easter service, preaching there, and we had a good time, but there's nothing quite like being at home. And in spite of seeing some of the faces around here, it's good to be here. <laughs> People don't realise this, but I've got, got something in common with Simon Cowell. Mm-hmm. We both just love to see our faces on the screen at all times, don't we? And so we're going to be having a look at this um, parable in, in Luke. And Marilyn snapped that picture as I was trying to work my way through my notes on it. Um, trying to find out, because it's, it's a strange parable in some ways. And at first glance, it just seems so profoundly simple. But as you look a little deeper into it, you find it's actually simply profound. And I was wrestling between the two. In fact, I was chatting to Ian Kellen. Somebody has to. I was chatting to Ian Kellen the other day, and I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this because it's, it's a story we all know. I've known it all my life. How, how do you find something new in it? And then I prayed a bit more and read a bit more, and thought a bit more, and I realised actually, it's not quite as simple as I initially thought it was. So let's try and look at it. Jesus and many of his followers were walking to Jerusalem. And as they walked, they passed through a lot of different little villages along the way, and wherever they were welcomed, we told that they stopped, and they shared God's message with the people. And then someone, and we're not told who it was, someone asks Jesus a question. And it may seem like a bit of a strange question. He says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He doesn't ask Jesus, how does one get saved? Or who's going to be saved? Or or what is the way to be saved? He says, how many? How few? Going to be just a couple of them? Surely, surely, you know, how many, Lord? Give me, give me a clue. Now, at first glance, as I say, this may seem like an odd question, but among the Jews of the day, it was a hot topic. There were two very famous rabbis at the time who were debating this publicly, and this was the theological discussion of the day, or one of them. It was kind of like the Brexit of those days, you know? As somebody once said just recently, if you're ever out in the wilderness miles away from anybody and you're completely lost, say Brexit, somebody will turn up to argue with you. (laughs) Well, it was a bit like that in those days about this. And this was the question, how many are going to be saved? I I don't know if you've noticed it, but some people just love hours of pointless theological debate about things that don't matter. They can get so heated about it. Mm. Well, if there's anybody equipped to handle a theological debate, it, it was Jesus. So, how does Jesus deal with this strange question? We, we may actually even learn something from it when we are thrown awkward questions like this. How does Jesus deal with it? Well, he totally ignores it. He he didn't even answer it at all. He he listened to what the man said, but then he said, you know, there's something more important than how many. A far more important question is how. 
He says to the man, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Now, you know, that's no question. How many are going to be saved, Lord? Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Uh, uh, did you hear me, Jesus? Well, did you hear me? <laughs> I said make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Make every effort. I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. You have been warned. But then he talks about the narrow door. What is this narrow door? Well, the Bible tells us what the door is. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. You can't get a much clearer statement of what the door is. Lord, how do we get to heaven? Well, you enter through the narrow door. What is the narrow door? I am the door, said Jesus. In John chapter 14, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the door, the narrow door. In Ephesians, it says this, for through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access through the door, which is called Jesus. How do we come to salvation? Jesus has come through the narrow door. I am the door. He's very clear that there's only one door that leads to God. And he is that door. A few years back, actually quite a few years back, 2005, the American magazine Newsweek carried out a, a poll in which they asked people who read the magazine the simple question, can a good person who is not of your religious faith go to heaven or attain salvation or not? Well, you may be surprised at the answers they got. They divided it up into these groups, evangelical Protestants, non-evangelical Protestants, Catholics and non-Christians. And there it is. Out of all of them, 79% said somebody who does not believe can go to heaven. Evangelical Protestants, 68% said yes, and 10% said, I don't know, and only 22% said no. Non-evangelical Protestants, 83%. Catholics, 91%. And non-Christians, 73%. Now, I find it interesting, actually, that more non-Christians said you've got to have the right belief than those who attended um, some of the churches. But many people think like that today, don't they? They believe that all roads lead to Rome. All religions lead to the right place. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere and you lead a good life and you're a decent person. That's what matters. Be sincere. No place for hypocrites, but you know, you must be sincere about this and, and do good. Well, it sounds reasonable. But Jesus said, no. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. So there's a discrepancy between what most people in the world believe 
and what Jesus was saying. And we have to decide whether we are going to take the word of God himself as to what is the right way or what our modern brain seems to think would be the most politically correct route. We can look at just a couple of examples. Cornelius, we read about in Acts, was a very religious man, devout, committed to doing good. But he came to a point where he needed to surrender his life to Jesus Christ to obtain salvation. The devout Jews that we read about on the day of Pentecost. Now, I don't need to tell you that these people were serious because the word is devout Jews. But they needed Jesus. Lydia, we read about in Acts, was a worshipper of God and she set aside time on the Sabbath to worship God. And what happened? She needed Jesus. Saul, later known as Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, well learned, committed totally to to doing what he believed was God's work until he met Jesus. Being religious and being sincere is not enough. And Jesus says to us, please don't be deceived by this lie that society is telling you. He said, this is eternal life. That we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the only way. As I said, people reject that view. Some people are like those who said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, you taught in our street. I may not have committed my life to you, but I've heard about you. I've actually even been to Crete St. Michael Baptist Church. He said, well, in spite of that, you know, there's a bit more that's needed than that. Okay? In fact, he says, I, I don't know you. Get away from me. You might have heard. But you see, what many people do is they they pick and choose which parts of the teachings of God they like. And they get rid of the bits that they don't like. And they ignore it. But it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in any area of life. If you have a serious illness and you go to see the doctor and the doctor says to you, this is what is wrong with you and this is what you need to do about it and if you don't do that, you're going to die, you don't get up and say, well, actually, you know something? I don't like what you said because another doctor once said that people get over common colds quite easily. But you haven't got a common cold. You're going to die if you don't take this medicine. Hmm. Nah, don't fancy that. That doesn't sound like friendly at all. That's not a loving thing to say, doctor. (laughs) Actually, it is a very loving thing to say. Because the only thing that will keep you alive. 
off the coast of Florida, they've got the Barrier Islands. Now, I speak with great authority, having never been there in my life. But I looked at pictures, and it appears that off the coast, they've got the string of islands which are separated from the mainland, and very often there's only one road, one bridge, one way of getting from the island to the mainland and back again. Now I want you to imagine a new resident on one of these barrier islands off the Florida coast. And there's a public announcement that a hurricane is coming and you need to evacuate. And you need to evacuate on the only road there is, across the only bridge there is, because there's no other way off the island. Now please will you get on that road and get off before the hurricane comes. This new resident hears that and says, you know something? I think you're all too narrow-minded. Ah, I think that's a very arrogant attitude to have. They say to him, hey, you better hurry. The hurricane's coming. Nah, I don't listen to narrow-minded people like you. You're elitist. And of course you can imagine him later on blaming the government and society for failing when the hurricane wipes him out. Or equally, you can imagine some tourist on the island who simply didn't know that there were no other ways off the island because you know, back home there are lots of roads. <laughs> or thinking that a hurricane doesn't matter because, yeah, I've been in a thunderstorm. Or imagine the long-time resident who's lived there for many years. He knows there's only one road off, and he knows what it is, but he says, this one's probably not going to come our way. No, I, I, I'm sure it'll be okay. These people are going to probably die, because they will not listen to the authoritative advice that says, look, there's a hurricane coming, it's going to hit your island, there's one way off, now move it. Jesus says, the door to heaven is a narrow door. But even though it's a narrow door, it is wide open. God's grace swings that door wide open. And he says to every single one of us, come in. You're welcome. Come. Come. I've got a place for you. Come. The door's open. Enter. Come. Come into my home. Be part of my family. Come. 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 Oh, but am I good enough to come through that door? Well, again, we could look at a few biblical examples. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who spent his life cheating people. When Jesus came to his house and met with him, he repented. He said he'd restore everything he'd stolen. And Jesus says in Luke 19 verse 9, Zacchaeus, you've come through the door. You're part of my family. Another time a woman came to him and washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He knew that she had committed many sins, but she was sorry. And she looked to Jesus for mercy. And he said, your sins are forgiven. The door is open. The door is welcoming. 
He says to you, come. Come in. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So the narrow door is the door of repentance. The narrow door is the door of faith in the Jesus who went to Jerusalem to die on the cross and the Jesus who last week you were celebrating the fact that he rose again from the dead. The victorious Son of God, the risen Lord. But then, in the verse it talks about striving, it talks about working hard, it talks about the difficulty. Jesus said we have to strive to pass through that door. What, what on earth does he mean by there? Well, the word strive comes from the Greek word used in athletic contests that suggested somebody would train really, really hard and work really, really hard as they prepared for the athletic contest or even for war. They would use the same word. I, I'm not the world's greatest athlete. I mean, I haven't even had that foot. Uh, I'm... <laughs> I can run a tap. Um, but I've never seen an athlete at the Olympic Games receiving their gold medal and saying, oh, well, I only thought about doing this a couple of weeks ago. I haven't done any training. It just seems like it might be fun. So I thought I'd come along and see what happens. No, they have spent years training, disciplining their bodies, watching their diet, looking after everything, working towards that goal because that was what mattered to them. They were striving for it. They don't win by accident. It's the result of deliberate and sustained effort. And the fact that the door is narrow says it's going to take some deliberate thought and effort on your part to go through it. It's important, there aren't many doors to the same place. You can't take your pick, there's only one door. The entrance is narrow and exclusive and not broad. And it takes sacrifice on your part. It means you have to come to a point in your life where you admit you can't do it on your own. That's embarrassing. I mean, I'm a man, I can do anything. Well, maybe not. It's humiliating because it means you've got to come and say, I have failed, I've let you down, God, I've not kept your word, I am a sinner, I need forgiveness. But Jesus promises that only those who come to that point will go through the door. The very essence of salvation is that it's God's work and we need to let him do it. It is narrow as well because you can't bring anything with you. None of your own good works or anything else. You just come as you are. That, that great hymn that Billy Graham always used to end his crusades with, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, I come. Now, I can almost hear a few thoughts going around here, which is unusual in this church, but I can hear a few thoughts going around here. And I can hear people thinking, what? Hold on, Ray, hold on, hold on, hold on. I thought salvation was a free gift. I thought we just received it by grace. I thought it had nothing to do with our own effort. Now you're telling me we've got to strive. 
Jesus isn't talking about salvation by works. Jesus isn't talking about human effort. He's talking about your attitude towards it. Those who are only mildly interested will not get there. Those who say, I believe all roads lead to God, will not get there. Salvation should be something that is vitally important to you because your entire future depends on it. It shouldn't be a matter of mild interest. Jesus doesn't say stroll through the big door sometime when you're not doing anything else and check it out. No, he says strive to enter by the narrow door. It requires our urgent attention because that door, although it's open at the moment, is going to close. It said so in the passage that June read to us. It is going to close. And he says when that door closes, it's not opening again. You say, but I believe God is loving and he'll accept everyone who really wants to try their best sometimes? No. Now, whether you like it or not, Jesus claimed to be the only way. And you know, when, when God made that decision, he didn't need to consult us. He didn't say, you know, let, let's have a vote in Parliament. Well, no, no, nobody would do that. Let, let's... let's no, we wouldn't have a committee either. You know, let's, let's just get a general feeling of ideas. Do you think this is a good idea? Should we have any doors? No, God said, there is one door. This is it. You come through it. That's it. And as God, he has the right to make that decision. You can either enter through the narrow door, which is Christ alone, or you can invent an imaginary broad door and contradict God himself. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. As I said, this should be the focus of our attention. Jesus says that many will seek to enter and not be able. That made me pause for a while and say, hang on, let's let's look at this a little bit more carefully. This way it moves away even further from profoundly simple. But it's not that they won't be able to enter for any other reason except that the door has now closed. Time's up. The deadline has passed. Yeah, procrastination. We put it off and 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 put it off until it's too late. And if there's anything that we can't procrastinate about, it is this. The door is going to close. When is it going to close? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell me. But it's going to close at one of two times. It's going to close either when you die 
Or when God says, that's it. And we are not told when you're going to die. And we are not told when God is going to say, okay, thumbs up. It could be before we have communion. It could be in a hundred years' time. Although I suspect most of you will die before the hundred years is up. But, you know, we don't know when. And when that door closes, those that are inside are in and those that are outside are out. Once that door shuts, there's no more bargaining, there's no more working out last-minute deals. We either enter on God's terms, in God's time, or we do not enter at all. That's why Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to do so. Once the owner of the house, God, gets up and closes that door. You'll bang on the door, you'll say, sir, open the door for us. He'll say, I don't know you. Go away. I don't have a relationship with you. The door is shut. I don't want to end up in a position like that and I don't want you to. And there's no need. That is why Jesus came. That is why he went through the horrors of the cross. That is why God rose him from the dead. So that you and I can enter by that narrow door and know him. Sorry, I pressed the wrong button there. I believe with all my heart that there are some people sitting here this morning who have been procrastinating, putting it off, have been fiddling around on the edge and saying, oh, this is mildly interesting, I'm kind of vaguely interested in God. Yes, Lord, I, I, I kind of sort of more or less think I believe. Do something about it today. Later on there will be people here who will be happy to pray with you. Matt will be happy to meet with you and talk to you. I'll be happy to chat to anybody. But don't, don't, don't wait until the door has shut. Father, speak into each one of our hearts, I pray. And for anyone here this morning who has not entered through that narrow door, who's sitting on the doorstep, as it were, Lord, help them to see this and to come in and to know you, whom to know is life itself. Thank you, Lord, that in spite of my sin, in spite of my inadequacy, in spite of the fact that I don't deserve anything from you, you said to me, Ray, come in. I want to forgive you and I want to welcome you into my family. And you say to each one of us, so we commit ourselves to you now, Lord Jesus, and pray that you'll be glorified in the lives of those here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Closing comment. I don't know if you heard about the French foreign minister, and this, this is genuine, who recently got a cat and named the cat Brexit. Because she said the cat goes and scratches on the door and when you open the door the cat stands there and doesn't go out. And when you say go out and it comes back in. It can't decide what it wants. Well let's not be like that with God. He has opened the door let's go 
through the door. Over to the music team.